The Three Great Virtues Three Essays by Emerson Love Part Two This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Love Part Two the ancients called beauty the flowering of virtue who can analyze the nameless charm which glances from one another face and form we are touched with emotions of tenderness and complacency but we cannot find whereat this dainty emotion this wandering gleam points it is destroyed for the imagination by any attempt to refer it to organization nor does it point to any relations of friendship or love known and described in society but as it seems to me to quite other and unattainable sphere to relations of transcendent delicacy and sweetness to what roses and violets hint and foreshadow we cannot approach beauty its nature is like opaline dove's neck lustres hovering and evanescent herein it resembles the most excellent things which all have this rainbow character defying all attempts at appropriation and use what else did jean paul richter signify when he said to music quote, away away thou speakest to me of things which in all my endless life i have not found and shall not find End quote. The same fluency may be observed in every work of the plastic arts. The statue is then beautiful when it begins to be incomprehensible, when it is passing out of criticism and can no longer be defined by compass and measuring wand, but demands an active imagination to go with it and to say what it is in the act of doing. The god or hero of the sculptor is always represented in a transition from that which is representable to the senses to that which is not. Then first it ceases to be a stone, the same remark holds of painting and poetry the success is not attained when it lulls and satisfies but when it astonishes and fires us with new endeavors after the unattainable concerning it landor inquires quote, whether it is not to be referred to some purer state of sensation and existence end quote. in like manner personal beauty is then first charming and itself when it dissatisfies us with any end 
when it becomes a story without an end, when it suggests gleams and visions and not earthly satisfactions, when it makes the beholder feel his unworthiness, when he cannot feel his right to it, though he were Caesar, he cannot feel more right to it than to the firmament and the splendors of a sunset. Hence arose the saying, quote, If I love you, what is that to you? End quote. We say so because we feel that what we love is not in your will, but above it. It is not you, but your radiance. It is that which you know not in yourself and can never know. This agrees well with that high philosophy of beauty which the ancient writers delighted in, for they said that the soul of man embodied here on earth went roaming up and down in quest of that other world of its own out of which it came into this, but was soon stupefied by the light of the natural sun, and unable to see any other objects than those of this world, which are but shadows of real things. Therefore the deity sends the glory of youth before the soul that it may avail itself of beautiful bodies as aids to its recollection of the celestial good and fair. And the man beholding such a person in the female sex runs to her and finds the highest joy in contemplating the form, movement, and intelligence of this person because it suggests to him the presence of that which indeed is within the beauty and the cause of the beauty. If, however, from too much conversing with material objects, the soul was gross and misplaced its satisfaction in the body, it reaped nothing but sorrow body being unable to fulfill the promise which beauty holds out. But if, accepting the hint of these visions and suggestions which beauty makes to his mind, the soul passes through the body and falls to admire strokes of character, and the lovers contemplate one another in their discourses and their actions, then they pass to the true palace of beauty, more and more inflame their love of it, and by this love extinguishing the base affection, as the sun puts out the fire by shining on the hearth, they become pure and hallowed, by conversation with that which is in itself excellent, magnanimous, lowly, and just, the lover comes to a warmer love of these nobilities, and a quicker apprehension of them. 
then he passes from loving them in one to loving them in all and so is the one beautiful soul only the door through which he enters to the society of all true and pure souls in the particular society of his mate he attains a clearer sight of any spot any taint which her beauty has contracted from this world and is able to point it out and this with mutual joy that they are now able without offense to indicate blemishes and hindrances in each other and give to each all help and comfort in curing the same and beholding in many souls the traits of the divine beauty and separating in each soul that which is divine from the taint which it has contracted in the world the lover ascends to the highest beauty to the love and knowledge of the divinity by steps on this ladder of created souls somewhat like this have the truly wise told us of love in all ages the doctrine is not old nor is it new if plato plutarch apuleius taught it so have petrarch angelo and milton it awaits a truer unfolding in opposition and rebuke to that subterranean prudence which presides at marriages with words that take hold of the upper world whilst one eye is prowling in the cellar so that its gravest discourse has a savor of hams and powdering tubs worst when this sensualism intrudes into the education of young women and withers the hope and affection of human nature by teaching that marriage signifies nothing but a housewife's thrift and that woman's life has no other aim but this dream of love though beautiful is only one scene in our play in the procession of the soul from within outward it enlarges its circle ever like the pebble thrown into the pond or the light proceeding from an orb the rays of the soul alight first on things nearest on every utensil and toy on nurses and domestics on the house and yard and passengers on the circle of household acquaintance on politics and geography and history but things are ever grouping themselves according to higher and more interior laws neighborhood size numbers habits persons lose by degrees their power over us cause and effect real affinities 
the longing for harmony between the soul and the circumstance, the progressive idealizing instinct, predominate later, and the step backward from the higher to the lower relations is impossible. Thus even love, which is the deification of persons, must become more impersonal every day. Of this at first it gives no hint. Little think the youth and maiden who are glancing at each other across crowded rooms, with eyes so full of mutual intelligence, of the precious fruit long hereafter to proceed from this new, quite external stimulus. The work of vegetation begins first in the irritability of the bark and leaf buds. From exchanging glances, they advance to acts of courtesy, of gallantry, then to fiery passion, to plighting troth and marriage. Passion beholds its object as a perfect unit. The soul is wholly embodied, and the body is wholly ensouled. Quote, her pure and eloquent blood spoke in her cheeks, and so distinctively wrought, that one might almost say her body thought. End quote. Romeo, if dead, should be cut up into little stars to make the heavens fine. Life, with this pair, has no other aim, asks no more than Juliet, than Romeo, night, day, studies, talents, kingdoms, religion, are all contained in this form full of soul, in this soul which is all form. The lovers delight in endearments, in avowals of love, in comparisons of their regards. When alone, they solace themselves with the remembered image of the other. Does that other see the same star, the same melting cloud, read the same book, feel the same emotion, that now delight me? They try and weigh their affection, and adding up costly advantages, friends, opportunities, properties, exalt in discovering that, willingly, joyfully, they would give all as a ransom for the beautiful, the beloved head, not one hair of which shall be harmed. But the lot of humanity is on these children. Danger, sorrow, and pain arrive to them, as to all. Love prays. It makes covenants with eternal power in behalf of this dear mate. The union which is thus effected, and which adds a new value to every atom in nature, for it transmutes every thread throughout the whole web of relation into a golden ray, and bathes the soul in a new and sweeter element, is yet a temporary state. Not always can flowers, 
pearls, poetry, protestations, nor even home in another heart content the awful soul that dwells in clay. It arouses itself at last from these endearments as toys, and puts on the harness and aspires to vast and universal aims. The soul which is in the soul of each, craving a perfect beatitude, detects incongruities, defects, and disproportion in the behavior of the other. Hence arise surprise, expostulation, and pain. Yet that which drew them to each other was signs of loveliness, signs of virtue, and these signs are there, however, eclipsed. They appear and reappear and continue to attract, but the regard changes, quits the sign, and attaches to the substance. This repairs the wounded affection. Meantime, as life wears on, it proves a game of permutation and combination of all possible positions of the parties. To employ all the resources of each and acquaint each with the strength and weakness of the other. For it is the nature and end of this relation that they should represent the human race to each other. All that is in the world which is or ought to be known is cunningly wrought into the texture of man, of woman. Quote, the person love does to us fit, like manna has the taste of all in it. End quote. The world rolls, the circumstances vary every hour. The angels that inhabit this temple of the body appear at the windows, and the gnomes and vices also. By all the virtues they are united. If there be virtue, all the vices are known as such. They confess and flee. Their once flaming regard is sobered by time in either breast, and losing in violence what it gains in extent, it becomes a thorough good understanding. They resign each other without complaint to the good offices which man and woman are severally appointed to discharge in time and exchange the passion which once could not lose sight of its object, for a cheerful, disengaged furtherance, whether present or absent of each other's designs. At last they discover that all which at first drew them together, those once sacred features, that magical play of charms, was deciduous, had a prospective end, like the scaffolding by which the house was built, and the purification of the intellect and the heart from year to year 
is the real marriage. Foreseen and prepared from the first, and wholly above their consciousness, looking at these aims with which two persons, a man and a woman, so variously and correlatively gifted, are shut up in one house to spend in the nuptial society forty or fifty years, I do not wonder at the emphasis with which the heart prophesies this crisis from early infancy, at the profuse beauty with which the instincts deck the nuptial bower, and nature and intellect and art emulate each other in the gifts and the melody they bring to the epithalamium. Thus are we put in training for a love which knows not sex, nor person, nor partiality, but which seeks virtue and wisdom everywhere, to the end of increasing virtue and wisdom. We are by nature observers and thereby learners. That is our permanent state but we are often made to feel that our affections are but tents of a night, though slowly and with pain the objects of the affections change, as the objects of thought do. There are moments when the affections rule and absorb the man and make his happiness dependent on a person or persons, but in health the mind is presently seen again. Its overarching vault, bright with galaxies of immutable light, and the warm loves and fears that swept over us as clouds must lose their infinite character and blend with God, to attain their own perfection, but we need not fear that we can lose anything by the progress of the soul. The soul may be trusted to the end. That which is so beautiful and attractive as these relations must be succeeded and supplanted only by what is more beautiful, and so on forever. End of Love by Emerson Recording by Robert Scott July the 6th, 2007